Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the South Bay Show, South Bay Live Music, on March 27th, 2019. Live, love, laugh, and leave a legacy. That's what we do here in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and it's a beautiful place to listen to live music. This show is brought to you by Masternode Consulting, a cryptocurrency company. The world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency today is very scary and new, and yet many people view it as the future and would like to invest safely and wisely. You can buy digital coins and hold them or, or hodl them, as it's called, or you can participate in an ICO, an initial coin offering, but many of those are ill-conceived, and picking and choosing the one that makes sense from those that don't is very difficult. Then there is the world of masternodes where without the expense of traditional proof-of-work mining, you can have the blockchain pay directly, pay you directly whenever new coins are minted. We believe this is the best possible way to invest and prosper in the blockchain and digital asset world. For more information, visit their website at masternodeconsulting.com or call 310-379-9822. Today, we welcome the Beach City Symphony music director, Barry Brisk. Barry Brisk first conducted uh, in public at the age of 14 when he performed selections from South Pacific from Webster Junior High School in West Los Angeles. As a student, he also conducted the orchestras at University High School, Mount St. Mary's College, and the University of Music, formerly Academy of Music, in Vienna, Austria, where he studied with the prominent conductor teacher Hans Swarovski. Professionally, Brisk has conducted many orchestras in Southern California as well as in Mexico and Austria. Maestro Brisk has been music director of the Beach City Symphony since 1994 and is particularly proud of having expanded the orchestra's repertoire. Barry Brisk's pre-concert lecture at 715 uh, at the Marseille Auditorium at El Camino College. The concert itself is free. Parking is $3, and it's most convenient if you bring three $1 bills to make it easy to use the parking kiosks in the, in the parking uh, lot there. Um, today, today, we're talking a fond farewell. Quite, quite appropriate, I think. And uh, Barry... Welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, Barry, I was just looking back, and uh, and we've been doing this since 2013. Oh, that's a long <laughs> <So> time. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. wonderful. It's a nice, yeah. uh, easy number, 2013, 2019, right. uh, six years. Uh, I've loved every minute of it when my wife and I first discovered the Beach City Symphony, we were really amazed at the, the level of, uh, of artistry and, and accomplishment for this volunteer uh, symphony. And, uh, and then uh, somehow I got the crazy idea that I, I should put you on my radio show uh, before every, uh, every uh, 
performance, and it's worked out most of the time, except for technical difficulties here and there. <laughs> right. Well, that's life. You know, we have all kinds of technical difficulties. You get a flat tire on your way to work, you know, so life yeah. is filled with these things. Yes, yes. I hope um, it's all been uh, wonderful for you. We, we've we had a great time all these years, and uh, we're sorry to see you go, but this is your farewell season. And uh, how has it gone so far? Oh, it's gone just like every other season. I mean, there's uh, aside from the fact that it's my final one, it's just, it's another season. We do great music. Uh, we have wonderful soloists. The orchestra plays well. So it's as usual in in that sense. There's nothing. Uh, um, how should I say? Uh, nothing spectacular is happening that way. But uh, it's all good. You know, it's just that it is my final one. You know, so right. you have a lot of, uh, you know, feelings about it. Uh, on the one hand, I have the feeling that, gee, I don't have to worry about it next year. Somebody else is going to take <laughs> care of all this stuff, you know. On the <laughs> other hand, it's, you know, how how much am I going to miss? And that will be a, a certain amount of stuff that I will miss. But it's, right. but it's an, you know, um, an important move in my life, uh, right. something that's, you know, appropriate given my age. Um, which is somewhere under a hundred, uh, right? And, you know, and the it's time for the orchestra to move on as well. After all, they've been with mm-hmm. me a quarter of a century, and um, mm-hmm. they should, you know, have someone else to look forward to. You know, and of course, within that quarter of a century, that's been a that's um, I've been the music director, which is also about a third of my life, uh, which is yeah. a big hunk. You know, you get into certain routines and whatnot, and it's, uh, you know, let's move on to something else. Of course, within that time frame, I would guess that at least 75 or 80 percent of the orchestra is new over the 25 Mm. years. Because, you know, a lot of the people who were there when I first came, uh, the most common thing is they move away. They get a job in another city what not? Some mm-hmm. of them simply lose interest in doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. Others retire and don't do it anymore. Or people, you know, you get physical things where it's uh, somebody has trouble sitting down and they can't play the cello anymore because of back problems. When you play the cello, you mm-hmm. can't lean back in your seat. You have to sit up straight. Well, when you're at 70 mm-hmm. years old, that may not be so easy anymore. You know, so mm-hmm. over the years, I would say at least 80% of the orchestra has changed. You know, but um, it's actually a better orchestra than it was when uh, I first got there. So right. uh, you know, right. it's uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. So my, this is my end, not the orchestra's end. You know, so yes. uh, we yes. look through it and move along. Well, there's there's no question, uh, Barry, uh, in anyone's mind, uh, anyone involved or even tangentially involved that. The the B City Symphony is much better off now. Uh, uh, your tenure has seen, uh, as you say, many many changes uh, to the personnel uh, roster, but also it just it's it's clear. I mean, just recently uh, we had uh, an amazing experience, my wife and I, at the B City Symphony, and I think that you know many people have that same experience that. Uh, that uh you know they are surprised at the quality i mean i i think my wife and i were there uh in january 
when Esther mm-hmm. Keel played. Correct. And the, right. mm-hmm. Well, go on. It's Sergei Rachmaninoff. Remind everybody, she did the Rachmaninoff first piano concerto, right? She oh. learned it for that concert, by the way. It was not in no. her repertoire. Really? Yes. That's even that's even <laughs> more amazing because she was transformatively right. good. She was amazing. <laughs> Correct. Yes, she was indeed. Yes, I had oh. uh oh about a year before the concert, maybe a year before, I always invite our soloists with plenty of time in advance. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I suggested that piece, and she said, "Oh, good! I want to do that." And so she sat down and learned it while wow. she was pregnant. I must add, wow. with her second child. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was that was a very special uh, experience. Um, right. So, and and we've had many throughout the years. When we talk about, uh, and we will, we will talk about the music coming up. In just two days, March 29th, this coming Friday, uh, a fond farewell uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, will be uh, the, the uh, music of uh, Ludwig von Beethoven, the Egmont Overture. No, Is egg, that it's Egmont? Archie, Egmont, right. Egmont, Egmont Overture. Right. Um, there will be a world premiere of the clarinet concerto by Barry Brisk as well. That's interesting. And then, of mm-hmm. course, uh, uh, Antonin Dvorak, uh, Symphony Number no. 7. Right. Uh, Dvorak. Uh, Check. Dvorak. 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 Thank you. When you think about this music, let's, let's talk about uh, – we're going to talk about the world premiere last – but let's talk okay. about the Egmont Overture from Beethoven. What what uh, period is this in his uh, uh, his career? Because it is very reminiscent of his, you know, what many people find to be the most memorable of his uh, his pieces, the the fifth. It is there's something right. very. There's something very similar about it. It's it's definitely Beethoven. Oh yes, this is uh, what we'd call sort of the end of his middle period. It was written two mm. years after the Fifth Symphony. You know, and it's mm. a very dramatic thing. I mean, this yeah. is based on a play that was written by the famous German playwright Goethe, and he wrote this in uh, 1787. Uh, mm-hmm. Egmont, the character was a nobleman from the Netherlands, what we used to call the Lowlands, which meant the Netherlands and um, you know Belgium and all that, literally low beyond in terms of sea level. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, you know, we're talking about the 16th century here, uh, that part of, the, of Europe was controlled by, this, by Spain. And uh, so there was a revolt against the Spanish, uh, which... Um, Egmont was a leader of this revolt. Now, he was a nobleman. Um, you know, back then, you either had the aristocracy and the high people or the very low people. There was no middle class back then. So uh, he was a nobleman who uh, led a revolt, an unsuccessful revolt. Unfortunately, he was, uh, and he was 
caught and uh, you know executed afterwards, but he became a big favorite there, and so that's why you get this very um, forceful kind of music. Actually, about two thirds of the way through it, there's even a little thing which depicts his execution, um, which you can't miss it when you're listening to the piece. Um, mm-hmm. And then it ends with a lot of, uh, you know, patriotic sort of fervor uh, at that at that point. Um, actually, I only recently found out that in 1956, when we had a Hungarian revolution uh, against the Soviet dictatorship, uh, the revolution did not succeed. Uh, that was the over. This overture became sort of an official and unofficial anthem for that revolution. This is a mm-hmm. a new tidbit that I just picked up. And oh. uh, yes, it's. Um, Goethe, who was uh, the most famous German author ever from the uh, early, late 18th, early 19th century, was very pleased with the way Beethoven had set this piece. He thought he had really captured the uh, the spirit of the thing, you know. And mm-hmm. even the famous playwright E.T.A. Hoffman, which most people now know when they think of the opera, the tales of Hoffman, uh, was also very impressed with how Beethoven had done this. So uh, it was a big piece. Now, it's not in the original form. There's not just an overture. Uh, He wrote what was called incidental music. Uh, We don't have this going on anymore. See, there were theaters. You didn't have a separate opera house for operas and and a different building for plays. They shared the same building. Mm-hmm. And so it was like mm-hmm. one company. One night they'd do a play, one night they'd do an opera, something of that nature, which meant right. there was a standing orchestra. So frequently, uh, composers wrote orchestra music to go along with a play because you had these all these musicians under contract. So mm-hmm. uh, he wrote, an, so this, so Beethoven wrote an overture for this play and other incidental music. So if there were a couple of songs done in it, he wrote an accompaniment for the songs. If there were some dances in it, he wrote the music for the dances. If there was a, a thunderstorm, he wrote storm music. I mean, most famously, um, Mendelssohn's Midsummer Night's Dream music has the same, there's the famous overture, but then there's also the incidental music that goes along with it. Uh, that sort of incidental music sort of stopped by the middle of the 19th century. But in Beethoven's period, that was a very common thing. So there's uh, like, you know, uh, nine other bits to mm. the whole Egmont by Beethoven, which seldom get done anymore. You know, the the overture has become the famous piece. Uh, I was at a performance of this once with the San Francisco Symphony 45 years ago, and it was all very nice, but uh, it yeah. hardly ever gets done. Well, well, hardly. Why, why do you think that's true? That it hardly well, ever gets done? Well, the other things are not that intensely interesting. You know, if you yeah. don't really know the play... So to hear a song, a couple of songs uh, sung by the the female actress, uh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really mean much to the audience, Mm -hmm. you know. And there's Mm -hmm. a narrator in this 
incidental music. Well, but if you don't really know the play, it doesn't right. make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and of course, the people then they went to the play, so they saw the action and they could tell what was going on, so it all made sense. But now it doesn't. Who knows the play? Who even knows mm-hmm. anything about Egmont anymore? You know, you have to go to mm-hmm. the concert, open up your program book, and read the little story to find out about the Count of Egmont. Right, you know. right, right, right. Now, uh, this piece, the Symphony Number no. 7 by Antonin Dvorak, where yeah. does this fit in his uh, his pantheon? Oh, it's the... Uh, Third Symphony from the End. So uh, we're talking here 1884. After Mm -hmm. this, number eight, that's the, how shall I say, the happy one. It's Mm. uh, the whole character of the eighth one is upbeat. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Ninth Symphony is the most famous. That's the one from the New World. You know, so everybody knows that. First of all, it's got a catchy title. It's big. It's not just big in the United States because this is a new world. It's uh, very big in Europe too, and it's got the tunes are really rather obvious or so. Uh, in this piece, he tried to uh, sort of capture themes of Czech nationalism and whatnot, and the emotional quality of the fatherland and things of that. Uh, of that nature. Now, for me and many other people, this is really the great symphony. The uh, emotional depth uh, mm. is, from my point of view, much stronger than it is in the last two, because the last two uh, don't go into, you know, almost tragedy in here, you know, uh, because after all, the Czech but it's now the Czech Republic, or if you used to say Czechoslovakia, that was all under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so they weren't free to make up their own minds about things. Um, Mm -hmm. So they didn't revolt, because the Austro-Hungarian Empire wasn't that nasty to them, uh, the way Spain was to the Netherlands several hundred years earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But he... uh, he even said, I am now busy with this symphony for London. London had commissioned it. Uh, where I, And wherever I go, I think of nothing else. God grant that this Czech music will move the world. Of course, it didn't move the world. I mean, it moved the audience to love the piece. But it didn't change politics. Music seldom changes politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the... Uh, you know the first movement is it's you know it it sort of grabs you by the throat and says pay attention yes. to me i'm telling you an important story here yes. the second yes. movement yes. is the more more lyrical one uh the, but it also grabs you by the throat in the middle the beginning is just a, a gentle beautiful melody but it it becomes yes. very dramatic the third <laughs> movement is a a dance typical style Czech dance with fluctuating rhythms and whatnot based on Czech folk dancing. Uh, We don't have Mm -hmm. folk music anymore in the world. That's disappeared. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you hear it, it, you can just tell it's Czech. Then once again, we have the last movement, which starts out with a very dramatic, serious thing. But the second melody is uh, just a beautiful uh, thing that pulls you along. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's there's more contrast there. 
Um, and when you come to the very end of the piece, which had this stunning uh, upbeat melody, at the very end, you get some very serious chords which bring you to the end of this piece. So it's still it's in a major key, but you still get this huge ending, which is, um, it, I shouldn't say it's, it's not upbeat, but it's very solemn in a positive right. sort of a way, like going to church is a solemn but positive experience. And that's how this symphony ends. So it has a much more emotional depth to it than the actually more frequently played symphonies number eight and nine. Uh, mm. In the community orchestra level, one of the reasons it's not played as much is that it's more difficult. Right. The seventh and uh, the eighth and ninth symphonies uh, play themselves much more easily. This one is really harder. You know, it's probably mm. the hardest of mm. all the Dvorak symphonies. So, okay. uh, but it's it's one of my favorites. So that's why we're doing it. We did okay. it a number of years ago, something like 20 years ago. We played it before, and I've done it elsewhere. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it is a slightly more challenging symphony. Mm. Yeah. How, how did uh, rehearsals go uh, with uh, well, it's the going, No, they're going quite well. Of course, we have the concert this week, so at this point, the yeah. orchestra knows it very well. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's always... Every time we have the first rehearsal for a new concert, it's always a little bit challenging because many of the people uh, will not have played it before. You know, you get right. those people who do a lot of playing. Um, we have a number of people who play in multiple community orchestras, uh, so they're bound. To, they will have encountered things, but. Those who don't play around that much may not have played this symphony before. And then since it's not something that played a lot by community orchestras, many of the people have not done it before. And it, uh, it's a little bit tricky, particularly for the first violins, which have to play in a very high register. You know, that's, uh, mm. that's always a bit of a challenge for a community orchestra. Right, right. Very good. Now... Now our our third piece, uh, a world premiere with uh, Bradley Cohen as the clarinet soloist, the Clarinet Concerto by Barry Brisk. Right. When was this composed? In 2017. Mm. Uh, Ooh, actually, recently. Right. Well, that that's, it was just written with, for this occasion. Um, mm. Technically, the title is Concerto for Clarinet, Bass Clarinet, and Orchestra. Okay. And that's because Brad Cohen, uh, who is our long-standing uh, principal clarinet player, he's done a number of concertos with me in the past, uh, mm-hmm. he's also a wonderful bass clarinet player. So what happens mm. here is that the clarinet, or technically the soprano clarinet, plays the first and the third movements, and on the second movement, Brad plays the bass clarinet. So the second movement, however, was written specifically for the bass clarinet. And I knew we could do it. So you're going to see him there at the performance, and he has to, after the first movement, he has to put down his regular clarinet, pick up the bass clarinet, play a few notes to warm up the instruments, which has gotten a little cold while sitting there for the first movement. And then we play yeah. the second movement. And then he has to put that down. And he picks up the, his soprano clarinet and probably doodles a little bit on that to warm it up. And then we do the third movement. So it'll be <laughs> a slightly different 
situation here. Okay, okay. Yeah. That right. sounds and It was exciting. actually my wife, Kathy, who uh, suggested writing a piece for Brad, who was such a wonderful clarinet player. Uh, and mm-hmm. I sort of, well, I made sure he would be interested in that, and he went along with it. And so we have this yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it, so fo- now- it follows the... Yes, go ahead. What? Okay, it follows the traditional form of a concerto. It's in three movements. The first movement is fast. Uh, the second movement is a slow movement. And the third movement is fast again. So uh, mm-hmm. in that sense, it's a very traditional piece. But it's definitely in a mm-hmm. 21st century style. Mm-hmm. We are not, I did not find any uh, recordings because, of course, it's a world premiere. Uh, it's a brand new piece. But I did find a recording of the Barry Brisk clarinet melange played by the, I guess it's the Community Orchestra of Pasadena? No, not at all. It's called the Los Angeles Clarinet uh, Choir. Oh, 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 oh. And, and it's, okay. there are just clarinets in it, no other instruments. Um, right. So it's uh, there's a high piccolo clarinet, there are three soprano clarinet parts, there's an alto clarinet part, bass clarinet part, and a contrabass clarinet. Wow. So it's, right. So it's just a, right. And it was conducted by the orchestra's by the kind of choir's uh founder um Margaret Thornhill, who's done a wonderful job keeping this thing together for many years. And it was uh, performed uh in Pasadena last uh March and April. Yes, just exactly a year ago. It got two performances there and it's now up on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. Why are there so many different uh, registers of clarinet? What is it about the clarinet that it, uh, that, well, that lends to that? Well, they they have different sounds. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, the, we're all familiar with the what we call the soprano clarinet sound, but then there is this high piccolo clarinet, which is you know higher and perhaps a little more squeaky, uh, which has some very important parts in music by Richard Strauss and Mahler. Uh, the alto clarinet you don't hear very much. That's for like college or high school bands uh, have clarinet, alto clarinet parts. The bass clarinet was used a great deal by Wagner in his uh, opera cycle, The Ring of the Nibelungen, also a lot by uh, Richard Strauss and uh, Mahler. It's a very sort of Germanic thing, but it was, uh, I believe, used by uh, Ravel as well. And then um, the contrabass clarinet is more of a specialist thing. Uh, that's more later 20th century. It's a very large instrument, very long, or I should say tall. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, something that uh, Esapekka Salonen wrote a few years ago calls for several contrabass clarinets. He liked the sound of the low clarinet. It's really a gorgeous sound. Um, it makes for a, a wonderful effect. Wow. Um, let's hear this piece. It's the Los Angeles Clarinet Choir. And uh, this, is, this is very interesting. Uh, clarinet only. Um, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. We're ready. We're going to play this piece. 
what is the uh, full title of the piece again, Barry? Clarinet melange. I mean, a melange is a blend in French. Yeah. So this is a blending yeah. of clarinets. Okay. Here we go. Clarinet melange.
Well, yeah. <laughs> um, that it does exploit the many, clarinet sound. It it has many notes in it, uh, many flavors. Uh, definitely sounds American. It it, okay. it sounds it sounds American. There's no question about it. Uh, I, I don't well, know that I'm that's... an American. That's a perfectly good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is probably a very good thing. But, uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by, uh, you know, there's there's music, popular music, uh, my love for the blues, my love for jazz. But there's something about classical music that allows you to really uh, hear as you said, the you know, in many parts of the world, the the folk uh, aspects of of music in that region, or the you can hear the different periods, the different influences, and uh, and and really uh, appreciate them and and uh, visit them again and again and again. And uh, very nice. Thank you very much for that, Barry. That was great. Oh, my pleasure, of course. Yeah. So now we we have a couple of other pieces and uh and we have plenty of time for those. When you think of this piece, we we talked about both of them. Uh uh which one do you think the the audience well, the audience is going to recognize the Beethoven piece, not because they know that Egmont story, but because it's so Beethoveny. <laughs> Well, yes, also, I mean, forgetting the story about Count Egmont, uh, the piece right. is very famous, the piece of music, you know. Yeah. So um, I'm sure many of the people in the audience will have heard it before. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save that one for the last one. Let's go with uh, Antonin Dvorak, uh, Symphony Number no. 7. Um, any other stories you want to you wanna tell about it before we play a little bit of it? Um, no, I think I've covered the Stat Symphony fairly thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Antonin Dvorak, Symphony, Symphony Number no. 7.
All right, Barry, we're back. And uh, that, well, that's a very dramatic beginning. Oh, yes, that's what I was trying to explain. It's not, it's wonderful music. Uh, it grabs you, but it's not happy music. Yeah. You know, so uh, his eighth symphony starts out that's a much happier kind of a feel. But music doesn't <laughs> have to be happy. We're not always happy, you know. Things happen, <laughs> dramatic things happen in the in life. So in art, yeah. you get all all the things from tragedy to bliss, you know. And in music, in a symphony, you can get all of that expressed in 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the uh, wonderful things about all styles of music, classical, jazz, uh, pop, whatever. You know, it's we express emotions and feelings. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so, I am, uh, you know, when it comes to Beethoven, I mean, there is, there are a few classical uh, composers that have be- become more integrated, I would say, into the common uh, consciousness than Beethoven. I mean, I, I, there's so many different reasons and because of his music and because of his life story, but of course, then there's Schroeder. From well, yes. the peanut. <laughs> yes, from I read Schroeder every day. Well, or peanuts anyhow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and his obsession with Beethoven uh, has got to, has it must have had a profound uh, effect on uh, musicians for generations since the early, whenever uh, Charles Schultz uh, uh, began uh, writing uh, Schroeder in such a way that he was, you know, obsessed with Beethoven. Um, I'm sure that lots of classical pianists uh, began their obsessions with, uh, with uh, Beethoven and, and uh, Schroeder, uh, Schroeder's, uh... Right, that's some. That's a point I can't exactly speak to. It's very cute, but I, I don't know if you want to do a, um, shall we say, a, a, mus- an, a, a psychological analysis of that. We might be better off yeah. letting that go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is uh, obviously uh, it's a wonderful piece, and um, I would love to play it for people, but before I do that, I'm going to do a little bit of business. I'm going to um, um, just talk about my sponsor a little bit, and then we're going to play this piece of music. Um, and we're talking about something very modern. Obviously, there's there's something very uh, classical and, and, and old world about Beethoven's music, but today... Uh, we have something very modern. The, the 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 it's called fintech. Financial technology is revolutionizing how we pay for things and and how we manage our finances. And a short ten years ago, uh, a new uh, technology was introduced to the world of finance called Bitcoin. Um, what are called cryptocurrencies, which is kind of a misnomer since they're not really currencies but they are cryptographically uh, secured uh, a mathematical term about the technology. 
And uh, the world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency today is very scary and new, and yet many people view it as the future and would like to invest safely and wisely. You can buy digital coins and hold them or hodl them, H-O-D-L as it's called, or you could participate in an ICO, an initial coin offering, but many of those are ill-conceived, and picking and choosing those that make sense from those that don't, it's very difficult. Uh, then there is the world of master nodes, and that's my specialty, um, where without the expense of traditional proof-of-work mining, you can have the blockchain pay you directly whenever new coins are minted. We believe this is the best possible way to prosper in the blockchain, blockchain and digital asset world. For more information, visit uh, their website at www.masternodeconsulting masternode m-a-s-t-e-r-n-o-d-e masternodeconsulting.com or call 310-379-9822 and so now um, the Egmont Overture Um, let's play it Uh, any last words Barry? Uh, not really, but uh, similarly to the Dvorak that we heard, it's also very dramatic because of the subject yeah. matter of the uh, uprising against the Spanish rule. So it's also a very uh, – the ending is kind of happy, uh, but yeah. most of it is, is uh, you know very dramatic and heavy sort of music. It's wonderful, of course. Of course. Looking forward to it this coming Friday. Everyone, this coming Friday, the the 29th, at the uh, Marseille Auditorium at El Camino College, uh, this uh, A Fond Farewell concert uh, will begin at 8 o'clock, but you can uh, take advantage of Barry Brisk's pre-concert lecture at 7.15. The concert is free. Uh, Parking is $3, but you'll want to uh, uh, bring three $1 bills to make it easy to use the parking kiosks in the parking lot. And uh, so here we go with uh, Ludwig von Beethoven's Egmont Overture.
<laughs> that felt very good. <laughs> now, is 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 there singing as well? No, no, no. It's just the overture, exactly like what you just played. Yes. All right. Then that's remember, remember I told you there was incidental music. Yeah. That had a couple of songs uh, in it. You know, has some other stuff. That's I think what you were picking up there. Yes, at the end. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. What a wonderful piece. Um, looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be a great concert. Uh, how are we doing on attendance? Do you have any numbers for us, Barry? How are we doing? Uh, I don't actually have numbers, but we've been doing quite well. I think we tend to get somewhere between 600 and 800 people per concert. Uh, Of course, the Marcy Auditorium is a huge place. Yeah. So we could easily accommodate a whole lot more people. But then, in general, uh, community orchestras don't really – don't usually pull in a whole lot of people for their concerts. So uh, that's, you know, just the way things are. Yes. Well, what a wonderful uh, uh, concert it is going to be. We're looking forward to it uh, just two days from now. Uh, rehearsals are today, yes? Yes, we have a, we're in the auditorium for rehearsals today, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the concert's on Friday. right? So that, okay. that's a convenient thing that we're in the uh, hall twice for rehearsals, right? Yes. Now, now, are the rehearsals open to the public? No. No. Okay. I mean, if somebody yeah. happened to show up, we're not going to ask them to leave. But in general, no, because you're working on stuff. It's not the final thing. You know, I'll stop right, here right. and say, let's do this, let's work on this, let's do that. So right. uh, no orchestra opens. Uh, oh, I think the Hollywood Bowl might do that. Of course, you're sitting, yeah. sitting a thousand feet away from the orchestra. Um, or yeah. something like that. But in general, rehearsals yeah. are not open to the public. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Do, do yeah, friends and family the, often The come? soloist might make a mistake, and we have to do something over again. So, you know, you don't yeah. want to see that. You want to see the finished, you show the finished product. Well, I, I suppose, but there might be those people who are who are classical music you know, I don't know. What would you call a classical music uh, aficionado, a, a, a fan, classical fan, or whatever, whatever you want? But still, no, yeah. orchestras don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, Barry, again, we're going to do this again and again, I guess only two more times. Well, ever, one more time right? with me. I only have one more concert, yes. One more concert. Okay, well, I look forward to it. Barry Brisk, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure being with you, Joe. Thank you for this uh, wonderful experience these last six years, Barry. It's been amazing. Uh, I look forward to this concert and, and your last concert coming up in May. Is that right? Yes, May 24th, correct. May 24th. Uh, we look forward to it very much. Uh, I look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much, Barry, for joining us. All right, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you on Friday at the El Camino uh, Marseille Auditorium. Uh, the uh, music uh, begins at 8, uh, pre-concert lecture at 7.15. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>